Turn your Bibles, we're going to be starting off in Ephesians chapter 4. The book of Ephesians chapter 4. And as you're turning there, a man goes to the Catholic Church to confess 10 years worth of sins. The priest asks, have you prayed for forgiveness? The man replies, yes, I have. The priest says, do you renounce Satan? The man says, hey, that's my brother-in-law you're talking about. He married Satan's sister. You guys will get it. Amen. But we're going to continue our study in forgiveness. And we're talking about forgiveness the way God intends it. And the way God intends it, it's not easy, is it? Forgiveness, the way God truly intends it, it's hard. But it's also completely essential to the Christian walk of life. Forgiveness is the foundation of our relationship with God himself. Since he has forgiven us, since he treats us as if we have never sinned in the first place, we have to in turn do the same to those who hurt us. Amen? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And last week, we began to define what true forgiveness really is, the, the forgiveness the way God intended it. But more importantly, as we go through and we define what forgiveness is, I want you to understand what it looks like in life what it looks like when we apply it to our lives, when we actually truly forgive somebody. Amen? The first thing we looked at, that true forgiveness, the way God intends it, is being fully aware of what someone has done to you and yet still forgiving them. True forgiveness can only happen when we fully acknowledge what has occurred to us, when we fully acknowledge how deep the hurt is, and we accept in our heart that they're not going to be punished. Amen? We set them free. That's when we are conformed into the image of Christ because that's exactly what he has done for each and every one of us. Amen? Second thing we looked at, it's choosing not to keep a record. 1 Corinthians 13, we read how love keeps no record of wrongs. And if we have the love of Jesus Christ in our hearts, then we have to do the same to those that hurt us. We have to stop pointing fingers. Amen? No more blame games. We have to choose to erase that wrong in our mind before it gets settled where? Before it gets rooted in our heart. And over time, we're going to see that it'll, it'll just become second nature. That forgiveness will just happen when we don't allow that record of wrong become rooted in our hearts. Forgiveness over time will just become second nature. Third thing we looked at is that we saw that forgiveness is also refusing to punish. Refusing to punish. 1 John 4.18 There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. 
Forgiveness, we need to understand, is releasing or, or refusing uh, to cave into that fear. And what fear is that? It's refusing to cave into the fear that that person won't get punished or get the punishment that we believe they deserve, right? It's not caving into that fear. We must leave uh, or we must learn to, you know, we kind of have to stay in our own lane, right? We have to learn to stay in our own lane. Why? Because vengeance is reserved for who? For God and him alone. Amen? He doesn't need our help. He doesn't want our help in that matter. Vengeance is God's and his alone. The fourth thing we looked at is it's also not telling others, it's not telling anyone, as a matter of fact, what that person did to us. True forgiveness will keep us from gossiping about that one that hurt us. It doesn't allow us to hurt their reputation. It doesn't allow us to hurt their credibility, what we really want to do, right? We want to get revenge. We want to, we want to hurt their credibility for what they did to us. But true forgiveness stops us from doing that. God never reveals what we've done. He never reveals our sins to anyone else. Amen? And we're not to do the same to those that hurt us. Fifth thing we looked at last week, it's, also, it's showing and offering mercy. God is full of mercy, amen? But he is also just. He is completely just. So mercy says, don't punish. But justice does what? Justice requires punishment for sins, amen? So how does God reconcile that? Well, he reconciles it through Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned every one to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, Christ, the iniquity, our sins of us all. Amen? He who knew no sin became sin for us. Through Jesus Christ, he took our punishment for sins... And we get his mercy. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Jesus takes our punishment for sins and we get his mercy. There is no greater deal on the face of this planet. Amen. Period. And we have to do the same to those who've hurt us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful... For they shall obtain what? Mercy. Jesus said in Luke 6.36, Therefore be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. Proverbs 11.17, The merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. So now I want to move into... The sixth thing, forgiveness is also offering and showing grace. Amen? Remember, mercy is not getting what we deserve, judgment. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Amen? And that is God's favor. We look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. 
the Apostle Paul, he was writing to the church at Philippi, and it was a, there, was, there was some conflict within the church. In verse 2, he said, I implore you, Odia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, that phrase, be of the same mind, comes from the Greek word uh, epikes, and it literally means be gracious, be tolerant, be forbearing. The Apostle Paul, bottom line, was, was pleading for both of these people to be gracious. They both had strong personalities. They both believed that they were right and the other one wrong. That never happens, does it? Amen? They both believed they were right and the other wrong. They wanted each other to look bad. They wanted, you know, the, the, the other one to look bad. So what does Paul do? Paul encourages them to try grace. If you skip down to verse 5, he says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. That's the same word. In this instance, it's translated as gentleness. It implies a rare act of grace. It bypasses our normal judgmental spirit. That's what Paul was imploring them to do. Try grace. Amen? The same grace that God extends to us. And Jesus, if we look at his life, his life shows us exactly what a life of grace looks like. Go to John chapter 8. Gospel of John chapter 8. Skipping down to verse 3. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in his midst, they said to him, Teacher, Rabbi, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said to Jesus, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus just stooped down with his finger, uh, or stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not even hear them. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. You see, the Jewish leaders, they immediately did what? Pointed fingers. They immediately wanted to judge her. They immediately, they wanted to throw the book at her. And under the law, she should have been stoned right there uh, in their midst. But what did Jesus, uh, Jesus choose instead? He chose to offer grace. Now let's pick up in verse 8. And again, Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus has raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has not one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin 
no more. You see, Jesus absolutely acknowledges that a sin took place. Amen? He's not overlooking the sin, but he chooses to show grace instead. Amen? He chooses to show grace. We need to understand that grace at times requires certain facts about what happened to be withheld. Amen? That's grace. No one needs to know exactly what happened. Grace at times requires certain facts to be withheld. This is done to protect the person that hurt us. It's done to protect their reputation. Because God protects ours. Amen. Grace is shown by what we don't say, even if what we could say is true. Amen? We catch that? Grace is, sh- uh, is shown by what we don't say, even if what we could say is absolutely true. We need to understand that the self-righteous find it almost impossible to show and offer grace. Amen? The self-righteous, it's almost impossible for them to show and offer grace grace, but complete forgiveness. Forgiveness the way God truly intends it means letting go at times. Amen. Just letting go. And we need to understand what that really means is letting go of the bondage that it's keeping us in. Plain and simple. What else does true forgiveness look like? Well, true forgiveness is an inner choice. It's a heart choice. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the what? The heart. The mouth speaks. Forgiveness has to absolutely come from our heart. If we don't forgive from our heart, then it's not forgiveness. Amen? It's not forgiveness. And it's going to manifest itself somehow, some way, somewhere later. Amen? All that pent-up anger, all that pent-up bitterness, all that pent-up resentment, it is going to come out sooner or later. And when it does, it's just going to pour out. But on the flip side, if we do forgive that person from the heart, guess what else is going to happen? That's also going to show, amen? That's what we want to show. That is conforming into the image of Christ. 1 John 2.10 He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. You see, that's why reconciliation is not required for forgiveness. Because if we have truly forgiven from the heart, we don't have to know whether or not that that, that person... uh, if the offender will reconcile. It doesn't matter whether they want to reconcile or not if we have offered forgiveness. Because either way, whether they want to reconcile or whether we don't want to reconcile, we still have that inner peace in our heart, don't we? That can never be taken away. Too many wrongly believe that They don't have to forgive that person that hurt them 
unless that person has repented. That's a false belief. Forgiveness is to set who free? Us. It doesn't matter what that person does. Forgiveness is to set us free. It's for us. Forgiveness, repentance is not required for forgiveness. Never allow someone else to keep you in bondage. When Jesus was being nailed to the cross, when he was being crucified, what did he say? He said, Father, what? Forgive them for they know not what they do. He didn't say, Father, you don't forgive them until they repent of what they did, did he? Not at all. He said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Period. You see, because here's the truth. Most people that we need to forgive, they don't feel that they've done anything wrong. Many times they're not even thinking about what they did because they don't even realize that they did something wrong. Amen? That's a truth that we need to understand. This is why forgiveness must take place where? In our heart. It has to take place in our heart or it's not taking place at all. This also means that we won't be hurt again. Amen? It also means that we won't be hurt again if they don't want to reconcile. If they don't even acknowledge that they did something wrong, it's not going to hurt us again or hurt us more because we've already forgiven them in our heart. You know, some people struggle with needing to forgive someone that's already passed on. This applies to that scenario as well. Amen. 1 John chapter 3, verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence towards God. And that's who we are to please, amen? We are to uh, 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 please God regardless of the situation. Even if that person has passed and and we don't have the opportunity face-to-face, we forgive them in our heart, we're clear, amen? Plain and simple. What else does forgiveness look like? It's also the absence of bitterness. Bitterness, when you get down to it, is an inward heart problem. Amen? That's bitterness. It's an excessive desire for vengeance. It's an excessive desire for revenge that stems from resentment. Amen? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 and 31. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. First thing that's to be put away is what? Bitterness. Amen? Bitterness. We look... You know, we search the scriptures, we can find example after example. It was bitterness that caused Esau to hurt his, uh, or to hate his brother Jacob. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 27. 
It's also one of the top offenses. It's one of the, the top sins that cause us to miss out on God's grace, to miss out on his favor. Because bitterness is so easy for us to hang on to. It's so easy for us to carry day after day, but we don't realize the effect that it's having on us. Not just on us physically, but also on our relationship vertically. Amen? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Looking carefully lest any fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. By this what? That root of bitterness. Amen? We defile ourselves before God if we allow bitterness to become rooted in our hearts. So that we're all clear, let's consider what bitterness looks like. Bitterness will show itself in irritability, losing your temper easily and often, having a constant negative attitude, and always having that desire to get even if someone hurts you. If someone does something wrong, says something wrong to you, you have that desire to get even. That's what bitterness looks like. And guess what? We're all guilty of it from time to time. Amen? We cannot let that uh, root in our hearts. And no, I was not describing anyone's mother-in-law when I said that. We have to get rid of that bitter and that unforgiving spirit, amen? If not, we will not be able to forgive ourselves. Bitterness blocks the work of God's Holy Spirit in us. It completely blocks the work of God's Holy Spirit. But when we remove that bitterness, that's when we allow Him to work in us. We allow Him to mold us and conform us into the image of Christ. It allows us to, uh, or allows him to give us his peace, his love, his joy, his patience, all those fruits of the Spirit. And forgiveness is at the top of that. Amen? So how do we know when there is no bitterness lingering in our hearts? We know when there is no longer a desire to get even. When there's no longer a desire to, to see that person punished or get what we believe they deserve for doing what they did. Amen? Once we get to that point, when people hurt us, we just automatically forgive. There's no more desire to get even. When we don't do or, or we don't say anything to hurt their reputation. And it's when we truly want them to be blessed and want them to be well. Amen? It's then that we can truly be at peace. That's when true forgiveness hits. What else does true forgiveness look like? Now this one, 
you got to bear with me. It's also forgiving God. You say, preacher, are you out of your mind? Well, that's beside the point, but it's forgiving God. I want you to think about this. Our bitterness ultimately stems from a deep-down resentment of God. You say, preacher, I, I hope not. And most of us, rightly so, are horrified at the thought that we could be harboring bitterness towards God. Amen? And that should be our thought. But the majority of the time, this is an unconscious anger. But the truth still remains that a lot of our bitterness is aimed at God. Why? Because deep down in our heart, we believe that God allowed that bad thing to happen to us or that person we love. Right? God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing, isn't he? Amen? Then we conclude that he could have stopped those awful things from occurring. We say in our heart, he's allowed me to suffer when I really didn't deserve it. I thought I was doing what was right. I thought I was on the right path. But God, who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, still allowed this to happen to me. And that's almost an unconscious thing that we deduct in our minds and in our hearts. So that brings us to addressing that nagging question. Why does God allow evil? Why does God allow suffering when he has the power to stop it? Right? Why is that? Don't we as Christians know the answer? Well, let me start by saying this. I cannot claim to know the full answer. Amen? Period. As no one can. God and God himself and alone knows that full answer. But there are some things that I do know. Amen? I do know that he allows it in order for us to believe. In order for faith to even be possible, there would be no faith whatsoever if we knew the answer to wickedness, the answer to evil, or the, or the very reason for all suffering. There'd be no reason for faith if that be the case. So I do know that suffering allows faith to be possible. I also know that we would never understand goodness. We would never understand mercy. We would never understand grace if we never experienced suffering. And I also know that it was not God that hurt me in the first place. God could never do anything evil or wicked or bad. It's not possible. It was a fellow sinful person that hurt me, not God. And it's because they were sinners that they hurt me. And it's because I'm a sinner that I've hurt other people, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Amen? 
And above all this, most importantly, I know what God promises. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things, how many things? All things. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. All things means the good and the bad, the suffering, the good. It doesn't matter. All these things are working together for our good. You see, God has mastered turning evil into blessing, turning wickedness into good. He is the one that makes all things work out for our benefit. God didn't send Jesus Christ into this world to explain evil. He didn't send him here to to explain wickedness. Jesus came to save us from evil and wickedness. Amen? And he did it by exemplifying a life full of suffering. Jesus suffered more than anyone else has or ever will suffer. You say, but preacher, other people were crucified. Yes, they were. But never has God become sin. That's more suffering than any physical suffering any of us could ever go through. Holy God, righteous God, took on our sins. And not just my sins, your sins. Took on every sin of every evil and vile person that's ever walked the face of this earth. Every rapist, every murderer, Jesus took upon himself, God himself took upon him that sin. That's more suffering than we could ever imagine. And we have to trust and believe him at his word. Amen. Know that he is a merciful and just God. Know that he has only our best interest in mind. Know that He is God and He loves us beyond measure. And that He's working all these things out for our benefit, for our good. Bitterness towards God grieves His Holy Spirit and it ruins our fellowship with Him. Even though He's not guilty of any evil deed, we still need to forgive Him for allowing that situation to come our way. Amen. For even having that thought. We have to release our bitterness towards him knowing that he is altogether good. Amen. And lastly, we also have to forgive ourselves. Complete forgiveness involves forgiving others. It involves forgiving God for us harboring that bitterness towards him. And it also must include forgiving ourselves. We've all heard it before, haven't we? I know God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself, right? We've heard it. Every single one of us has heard it. Maybe you've said it. What letter is at the middle, is at the very center of the word pride? I, right? Are we greater than God? Any of us. Are we greater than God? Absolutely not. Then if God has forgiven me, then I cannot under any circumstances exalt myself above him and say, well, 
I just can't forgive myself. Because what did we just do? We just said, I'm above God. God forgave me, but I can't because I exalt myself above Him. And friend, the root of that is pride. Period. We have to forgive ourselves if we want forgiveness. Not forgiving ourselves is just as wrong as not forgiving others. Amen? God loves us just as He loves them. Failing to forgive ourselves is holding a grudge against ourselves. And there is no lasting joy, no lasting peace in forgiveness if we fail to forgive ourselves. As a matter of fact, we cannot forgive others if we can't forgive ourselves. Amen? We have to release that bitterness and release it now. Release it from that one that has hurt you. Release it from from blaming God. And release it from yourself and be set free. We have to be set free in the forgiveness that God has given us. Amen. And this is what true forgiveness looks like. Amen. And we need to look in the spiritual mirror and say, have I truly forgiven that one that has hurt me? They might have hurt you 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. It doesn't matter. If your forgiveness doesn't look like this, then you've never forgiven them. Amen? Pause and stop and look in that spiritual mirror and know what true forgiveness looks like and be set free.